Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. For the past 26 years, representatives from 197 countries have met to tackle the issue of climate change. These meetings are called a Conference of the Parties, or COPs. The most recent meeting, held in Glasgow, ended just last week. Scientists warn us that if the global temperature rises by 1.5 degrees Celsius, our planet and all life will be destroyed. If you have any doubts climate change is real, just look at British Columbia over the past week. Mudslides are causing havoc. The past summer was one of the worst for wildfires. Blue Dot Northumberland is a local chapter of a national group dedicated to educating people about climate change. Faye McFarland is one of its volunteers. She will shed light on COPS26 and what it means for us in Northumberland. I'm so pleased to have with me today Faye McFarland, the lead volunteer with the Blue Dot Northumberland chapter. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you very much, Rob. Nice to be here. Before we get into the weeds, can you tell us very simply, what was this climate change meeting in Glasgow all about? Just give us a big picture. Well, COP26 was um, several hundred uh, organiz- uh, countries throughout the world uh, meeting under the auspices of the United Nations to um, uh, come together with as much um, agreement as they could in uh, so many different aspects of dealing with climate change globally. So um, representatives were were provided from all the governments and industry, environmental organizations, uh, the whole gamut and sub uh, meetings were held prior to and during this. And then of course the the general, you know, assemblies were were met at the same time. So different organizations had different criteria, um, you know, different ways of negotiating and, different needs and and wants and um, ultimately over a period of a couple of weeks um, the uh, whatever they were able to agree on was agreed upon and um, what has yet to be agreed upon of course is still out there. Before we get down too deep it's my understanding that this is all organized by the United Nations and they actually hold these general meetings I think annually uh, about climate change what made this year special compared to the other years that the United Nations organized these kinds of meetings? Well, I, I guess I could say, um, I mean, special for, for who, I suppose, for Canada, um, you know, we have, we have our government that has, that has just been elected or reelected. Um, we have a new minister for the environment and climate change. Um, we have in the past year in particular, probably the past several years, 
the entire world has felt the uh, repercussions uh, physically of climate um, uh, climate crisis, um, and, and you know, of course, the, the floods and the fires and um, the, the hurricanes and the tornadoes, and and on it on it goes. Not only just in Canada, of course, but you know, throughout Europe and 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 uh, the um, rising waters that and uh, from the global, uh, the melting of the ice caps and so on. Also, this meeting is, I think it's the first main meeting post um, the uh, Trump administration in the United States. And I think there was, has been a lot of hope that this one was going to be um, better and more progressive um, and more um, successful because of the uh, new government in the United States. Um, so those, those are some of the things that I think immediately come to mind. I, I know too that, for example, the one of the meetings that was held in Paris uh, quite a number of years ago, were working very hard to create a treaty that would involve all the nations and all you know the global community would respond. And then, I, it's it's my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong, but these meetings in between are sort of maintenance meetings to sort of see how they're doing. Whereas Glasgow, this was another big meeting in terms of trying to set goals and objectives and trying to meet this. Uh, goal of not increasing the, the global temperature by 1.5 degrees Celsius. Am I correct in understanding that? Or if I'm not, tell me what I, I got wrong. No, well, I mean, that, that sort of certainly is my understanding. Um, the, um, the Paris Accord of 2015, now we're sort of six years after that, and we know so much more, we have seen so much more. And so, um, and so many more um, sectors are on track now that may not necessarily have been on track. This is maybe the first time that some of these things have been uh, recognized as, as being problems. For example, the, the funding of uh, the fossil fuel industry, you know, the recognition that, that funding by governments of fossil fuel industry as well as by, by the private sector and the banks, you know, is a real big problem. So this is sort of a, one of the first times that everybody has, has at least acknowledged that or recognized that. Um, a, another big issue, of course, is the, um, uh, the funding that the developed countries like the United States, basically the global north, has an obligation to assist those countries, basically the global south, um, in their dealings with uh, climate change adaptation. Because at this point, you know, I think we're not talking about or remediation as much as we are talking about adaptation. So the billions of dollars um, that are being asked by countries like the United States, Canada, Australia, the EU, to contribute to the countries that are, are um, suffering the effects of global warming and climate change that they, for the most part, didn't contribute to during the uh, Industrial Revolution. It's interesting, you mentioned the, uh, the agreement on the financing of fossil fuels, um, and Canada has signed on to that. And that was one of the big steps that got taken. However, th this aspect that you talked about, about uh, remediation and, and helping these um, other countries, that are uh, less developed than, than Canada and the United States and those ones you mentioned. Um, I understand that they really didn't get the deal that they were looking for when they came to Glasgow. Could you talk a little bit about that? And, and uh, I understand that was a real sore point and, and a big one. It got a lot of coverage. Yes. Well, the, the, the uh, request 
for the hundreds of billions of dollars for the developing countries because they um, they're not as advanced technologically as the you know northern hemisphere countries are. So if if we want them not to be using coal and if we want them to to sort of not even go through that 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 uh, huge emissions fuel. Um, as well as, of course, gas and oil, then they have to be assisted with technologies that are in advance of that, that meet their needs. So they need mo much more than was that what was offered to them, I suppose, or a, a, a ultimately agreed upon to them. But not only that, but they also need the funding to um, to address and adapt to climate change, because these are the countries that are, you know, low lying, that are dealing with um, uh, flooding right now and uh, deforestation right now. So it's, it's, it's both things. Canada, one of its roles was to call for a global price on carbon. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what that was and why it was significant? Well, Canada proposed a global price on car carbon um, so that there was a consistency throughout the, the world that, that this would be um, internationally um, done and respected and contributed to. But really, that's a last resort. There are so many other tools that should be used before you use global uh, uh, carbon pricing. And um, I mean, we know that that we'll, are, we'll always need coal, not coal, but we'll always need gas and oil. And we'll, they'll always be needed for certain industries because at this point, you know, you need them. So you can't just completely ban it all together. But when you can't use um, carbon sequestration or some of the other um, methods to, um, to deal with um, uh, reduction of carbon, then, um, then you at least have to cap it. And to do that, you have to price it. So, you know, the, and then the buying and, and I suppose selling of, of, the, of the carbon um, caps and trades, that sort of thing. But that's a last resort. But at least if we get the international community to, to, to accept that as, as a tool, hopefully not the first tool, but as a tool, then, um, then that's that that's great you know what we're talking about though i i guess is if if there's a country that is really good with their reduction of their carbon emissions and there's a certain level that gap between them being lower than what they expected then other countries can come by and buy up those that extra so that they don't have to reduce as much and it, it, it's sort of a a system of trading off, almost like the stock market. You know, somebody's high, somebody's low, and you buy off the difference. Um, I think I think that's you know certainly how I understand it. I'm not an expert on any of these things for sure, but um, but that's that's just my general understanding. But I think that the challenge is to use that not as a first resort, as a last resort. Understood. Uh, and also, you mentioned the cap on oil and gas sector emissions. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's a, a big deal to Canada. And I know they signed on to this. Mm -hmm. That's going to have some very real repercussions, especially out west. Why is this a good thing for Canada to be signing on to this and, and putting those caps on the oil and gas sector? 
Well, first of all, you know, we would like to be, not first of all, but one of the things is we like to be seen as, as, um, as, as, as you know, the, the true North clean and free. And, and um, we like to see ourselves as, as leaders in, um, the, um, in, in the environment and protecting the environment. Um, but clearly we aren't. Clearly we have to do so much more. And it's, you know, we do a little and then it's too late. Um, there's a tremendous opportunity in Canada to transition away from the oil and gas industry as much as is possible. There are there, and the jobs that uh, will be transitioning. There's a tremendous opportunity for the education and training and retraining for those uh, for those people who are skilled and some of them highly skilled in other um, in other um, professions and other trades and other jobs. So that's something that our government has to uh, commit to. Also, you know, it's very clear, and we all know this, every government, the people, the industry, everybody knows that we need to keep fossil fuels in the ground. And, but in Canada, we're a fossil fuel economy and uh, it's a very big industry. So the challenge is to do a just transition of that over time, but get on it now you know, get on it right now. And uh, one of the things that we've been talking about is uh, divesting not only our public funds, but also private funds, uh, banks divesting from their investments into the gas and oil industry. Um, and because some of these industries are actually looking at other, other avenues to generate um, energy, you know, Shell for example, um, there are these days many more uh, um, investments to be had that are safe, secure, pay decent dividends than the gas and oil industry. I know that your group held a day of action on October 29th in front of Victoria Hall. Can you tell us about that day of action and what happened? Well, yeah, sure. The, um, the Canadian banks um, are being asked to divest from fossil fuels, Canadian banks are um, in the top 25 of all the banks in the world who are investing heavily in uh, the fossil fuel industry. For an example, you know, how bad is it? Well, RBC Capital Markets ranks fifth globally in fossil fuel financing. Um, they generated fossil fuel fees of $454.5 million. In the top 25 banks globally that are financing fossil fuels, RBC, Scotiabank, TD, BMO, and CIBC are in that top 25. So we're looking at something like $800 billion our banks in Canada have been investing in fossil fuels since the April or since the um, Paris Accord in 2015. That's a, an issue for your group. What would you expect listeners to do about it? Well, the protest was to let our bank managers and the bank staff know that this was happening because a lot of times they don't even know that this is this is what's happening, and and so. But, but, but we also have um, um, a message to, to people who use those banks, which is basically all of us. And what we're saying is consider very strongly divesting your RSPs 
TFSAs, your RIFs, from the fossil fuel industry. So in other words, divest from um, uh, Enbridge, from TransCanada Pipelines, from CNRL, from Synovus. You know, th these are, um, this is not where uh, you want your investments to be. This is not what we want our banks to invest in either because this is continuing the, uh, the fossil fuel industry. And they themselves are not being um, as accurate as they should be on the risk that they are taking with, um, with the, ultimately what are gonna be stranded assets. You know, when, when, you, when, when the, uh, the fossil fuel industry is going to be, um, you know, is, is going to be devalued as time goes on. Buffet, that's that's a big ask to make of people. I mean, this, you, you're talking about plans that are for people's financial security in the future. What's the rationale that would motivate me to do that? Well, I've done it. I have divested from my RSPs and my TFSAs, my significant amount of money invested into um, uh, Enbridge and TransCanada pipelines. And because... I don't want to be funding fossil fuels because I know that they are responsible for the, the uh, degradation of our environment. And I know that I can invest in other investments that are just as good, that give decent dividends. Now, I wouldn't be able to say that maybe five or 10 years ago. I've had this discussion with my uh, financial advisor. And, you know, and there are good investments to be had this. And, and if you want to invest in, uh, in green energy, that's fine. But if you want to invest in something else completely, that's fine, too. But, you know, um, but it's, it's doable. And it, I, I'm just urging everybody to do that. You, you appreciate, though. I mean, kudos to you for doing that and, 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 and uh, you know, living by your principles. But at what scale would this have to happen to have enough of an impact that banks and, and investment brokers uh, would, would take it seriously and, and actually make systemic change? I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you just the little, the, the little um, protests that we had last month um, resulted in significant action by um, the bank managers locally in Coburg and Port Hope, and also from these banks. I mean, the day before that protest, the RBC had a huge page in the Toronto Star trying to um, defend, not so much that they are investing in, in fossil fuels, but trying to tell everybody what they also do, the other investments that they make. So, um, I would think that if people go to the bank and say, you know, I want to sell these investments or go to RBC Dominion Securities or um, whoever you use um, and say, I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, the more people that do that, the, the better the message. You, you said earlier that the, the local bank managers reacted. Can you, can you be a little bit more specific and say what they did and how they reacted? Uh, give us a concrete examples. Yeah, well, um, the uh, RBC um, said, let's meet, you know, would you like to meet? And uh, we said, yes, you know, a few of us would definitely like to, I mean, we're your clients, you know, we have, we have our funds in your bank. Sure, we'd like to meet with you. Um, some of them said that they will get a statement. I 
we went to uh, TD and also CIBC that they will get a statement from their head office and, and provide it to us. Um, and, um, and they have. Um, so, you know, I mean, they're, they're prepared to listen, particularly when, you know, we bank there. Many are saying that there is not enough sufficient action taking place to meet the targets of limiting global temperatures to uh, a rise of under 1.5 degrees Celsius by the target dates. And in fact, I think there were two reports released during the conference that pointed out that uh, uh, if everybody just stays on the track that they are now, it's going to go up by 2.7 degrees uh, uh, by their deadlines. What has to happen, do you think, on a local level? That's a great question because there's so much we can do locally that we don't even think about that. And people feel hopeless and feel that, you know, well, what, what, you know, how can I make a difference? But locally, there's a number of things that we can do. One example is to divest your investments um, out of the gas and oil um, industry and the, and the coal industry for that one, but also your next vehicle, you know, so many people now, their next car is going to be a hybrid or an e-vehicle. And when we take a look at the, the targets, we're looking at um, 30% of all vehicles being um, uh, e-vehicles by 2030 and 100% being e-vehicles. I don't know, maybe that's hybrid as well by 2040. So, I mean, that will be a, a great, a great help. Locally, we can um, ask our municipal governments to put in electric charging stations. In fact, there's grants available for electric charging stations so that people don't have to worry about um, <clears throat> charging you know, between their homes and, and where they're going. Planting trees. We have so many um, opportunities for free or very low cost trees through our conservation authority and our munici municipalities. <clears throat> Don't cut down trees. We need that carbon sequestration. That's one of the nature's ways of cleaning the air. Um, and also, if you're talking about a new furnace or building a new home, consider heat pumps instead of um, you know, gas. And of course, lots of people are getting away from oil any, anyway, but consider heat pumps as opposed to gas or, or, um, uh, or um, propane. Um, Things like you know reducing or eliminating meat from your diet because the methane gas that that is um, produced, you know, is is certainly part of the problem. And methane is even worse uh, because it lasts longer. Um, think about, talk about, act about things that you do, and you your lifestyle that pollute fire burning, you know, burning, burning your fires, um, having motorboats and sea dews and snowmobiles and motorcycles and, and big trucks and ATVs and ORVs, all these gas guzzlers, you know, do we really need to pollute our air and, and uh, you know, the trees and the animals, those types of things. Maybe we should be looking at um, entertainment and recreation that isn't gas dependent and that uh, makes, <laughs> makes us healthier people as well. So these are the, you know, it's, a, it's an attitude thing. Um, and it kind of has to 
come out of the closet more. Being environmentally aware and sensitive has to come out of the closet because we've been so ensconced, our generation, you know, the post-war baby boomers have been so involved with, you know, gas guzzling entertainment and um, to our detriment. And, you know, we have to um, tell our children but more particularly our grandchildren, because we're not going to be around when, you know, when it hits the fan. And, um, you know, our legacy is something that we're, we're starting right now. And I just think that that legacy has to be for our children and grandchildren, that we didn't contribute to it when we knew it was so bad and we tried to make it better. It's great that we ask local people to do local things, but when you look at what happened in Glasgow, efforts to tackle coal emissions seemed to stall, and India got a last-minute change that yeah. gutted efforts to rapidly phase out coal. Why do you think there's such a lack of political will to take the necessary actions? Um, because so many governments see themselves as short-term and see their, their needs um, or their wants as short-term. They don't wanna see the bigger picture because it's, it's too difficult. And it means such an enormous switch or transition from what they've always done or what they want to do um, to protect the, um, the economy of, of what they already have. Um, you know, there's a political will. We, we hear there's political will, but is there the actions to follow? Because our country, because we're so dependent and have become so dependent on gas and oil, our society is so dependent on it. We just can't see our minds through that. Plus it doesn't hurt to have hundreds and hundreds of lobbyists in the government who, um, who, who are there to make sure that gas and oil continue and succeed. If there's one thing the pandemic has shown us is that when governments have to act um, on a global scale, that uh, it had, at first it sort of created a sense of unanimity as we all face the challenge. But as we can see more recently, it has created huge divides uh, because we're, a great deal of change was demanded of people. What you're asking us to do is make huge changes do you worry at all that it's going to end up the same as it has with the pandemic, where we're just going to see more divisiveness and more resentment and more anger and frustration and fear rather than seeing something positive? Part of that divisiveness um, and th then becomes anger and then becomes fear or maybe the other way around has to do with how the media treats those kinds of things and how we talk about them and how we feel about them. And I think if there is um, a more we feeling instead of individual feeling, um, then the more we're going to realize that we're all in this together and, um, and that we can succeed together. Um, because that, that has, is going to have to triumph and how we get there, you know, it, it's a government responsibility. Um, it's, it's, um, but it's an individual responsibility and it's a, it's a mindset change. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, but you know, sometimes people don't act until 
something dire happens. And I just kind of guess that those people who are going through that flooding in BC right now and those horrific storms of um, those firestorms and the, the fires and um, the hurricanes and tornadoes, I suspect that they have a much greater appreciation for, for the, the natural environment because this, the world's always going to be here. You know, it's, it's the people and the animals and the plants that aren't going to be here if we don't get this right. So the more, unfortunately, the more people who, who are, uh, suffer consequences of, of nature um, maybe start having a, a better appreciation for it. So, I mean, it's a two, 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 um, two competing interests here. What happened in Glasgow that was at all positive? Um, well, there were a lot of things that, that, that happened, I guess, that, that were positive. Um, you know, Canada is one of 30 countries that signed um, the statement of um, ending new uh, direct public support or, or financing for um, a fossil fuel sector, you know, by 2022, um, except in under very limited and, and clearly defined circumstances consistent with 1.5 degrees and the Paris Accord. Um, we prioritize support uh, fully towards um, clean energy transition. Um, we, um, it's the first time we publicly, um, public financing of the gas and oil industry is recognized as a problem. And, um, you know, once the public stops financing the gas and oil industry, you know, hopefully uh, those the private investors will, will follow suit. I'm stopping the investment in coal power. I'm stopping using coal by 2040 and ending the export of coal by 2030. I hope I have those dates right. Um, committing a billion dollars to help countries uh, wean off coal. You know, there, there's been a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of positive uh, results um, from COP26. Um, further uh, accelerating the decarbonization plans for stronger emission reduction targets for 2030. We moved that up three years from 2022 to 20, instead of 2025. Uh, the developing countries like Canada is providing more money to the um, developing countries. Um, reducing global greenhouse gas emissions by 45%. By 2030, that was that was recognized. So, you know, those are all those are all achievements that, that we need to be proud of. But you know, this is nothing to blow our our horns about because it's still too little and it's still too late. So, you know, we, we can do better and we have to do better. Faye McFarland, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. That was Faye McFarland, lead volunteer for Blue Dot Northumberland, a local climate action group. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. 
Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.